Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-Pack and 50% off a Caravan 10-foot by 10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale, in-store and online at cabelas.com. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the Northwest Division podcast. It starts out that way, at least. And I'm so happy to have Ethan Sherwood-Strauss of ESPN back on the show and Beckley Mason of Hoopspeak and the New York Times on the show. I love both of them as guests, and it was really fun in particular to have them together. So as I said, this centers on the Northwest Division, so we start out with the offseason in review, notable moves including the Kevin Love trade and everything of that nature. And then we also do the season preview in terms of, you know, who's going to do well and all that. And that's, of course, at the very end of the podcast. But throughout, we have a series of asides that I think are really interesting. And we try to have most of them are are Northwest Division based. We have a series of things on Oklahoma City. Scotty Brooks is a coach. What's going to happen, we think, with Westbrook, Durant, and Serge Ibaka going in the future. But there also are discussions on other things. Around the 36-minute mark, Warriors fans will be interested. We have an extended discussion about Stephen Curry and the Warriors and the Mark Jackson thing because Ethan is around in the Bay Area, as I am, and so it was good to talk with him about that, and Beckley had some great insight as well. So we hit on things like that and go into a lot of different directions. It was so much fun to do, and it runs about an hour 15 was a lot of fun. You'll hear references. There were there were the whole first part of our conversation was non basketball and got cut, but it was an absolute blast having them on, and I, I hope you enjoy it because it was so much fun to do. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Thanks. Now, we've Rhett. already talked for almost twenty minutes, and if none of that twenty minutes makes it on the show, I'm going to be put out. It was mostly conspiracy theories. Nothing that will get us yeah. in trouble, Danny. Just some drops, some non sequiturs. <laughs> yeah. The NBA NBA fans are prone to conspiracy theories, so I think there's a common thread there. Yeah, there de- there definitely is one. So the the idea of this podcast is to do the off-season interview and then a season preview and we're doing the Northwest. What teams in this division do you think got better since the end of last season and what teams do you think got worse? Oh god, don't quiz me because I I I I'm not even sure I know which teams are in the Northwest off the top of my head. Here, I'll I'll do it. I'll, got, I'll, read them, I'll read Oklahoma them out. Oklahoma City, we've got we've got Portland and we've got, I mean, I know the rest of the... at least one team team. that's actually in the Northwest. Yeah. Yeah, Minnesota, (laughs) Minnesota, Denver, and Utah. That's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's a division without... It should be called North and West. Can we just do away with conferences already? I don't want to have to read... I knew this was coming. God, I knew this was coming. I just don't want to have to read the Wizards and the Cavs fighting over best backcourt because we've built this insulated conference that is awful and they're used to each other and they don't know other things exist outside of it. It's gotten absurd. But anyway. Also, the Cavs' backcourt is not that good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
let's add that in as well. That it's ridiculous. It's like you should you should at least be in the top five if you're going to assert that you're the best. Well, now that we actually know which teams are in the division, which I think is key for this conversation, it's very important. I'm not. Have any of them really gotten better? I, I can't think of uh, which which team got better. I got a couple for you. Okay. I think the Jazz got better in a, in like a long range look. I think they yeah, drafted I, I like well. Quinn. I'm down with Quinn. All right. I think you could argue Thunder. Addition by subtraction. They're not going to have the the Karam Butler long two. They're not going to have Derek Fisher. Okay. Assumedly, Lamb and Perry Jones get better. Everyone just gets better, so that team just gets better because they're now all entering their prime. I, I would say the Nuggets one. got better. Nuggets, I think, got better. I think the Blazers, by virtue of actually, so I was down on the Blazers going uh-huh. into this because I really did not like the Chris Kamen signing. But then I remember that C.J. McCollum is going to play, and he's going to be a six-five guard who can score and guard, and that is going to be super helpful for them. I don't know if they're, like, even a game better, but I think you could argue that they will be better. And That's the major vote of confidence is you could argue. That's always just screams. Right, I know you hate that term. <laughs> I'm sorry that I used it. I think... They're, I, I think they are better, but I don't think it matters, if that makes sense. Well, uh, I was just resentful and jealous that you were bringing specifics to this conversation after I, I, I flubbed even knowing which teams were in the division. So that's all that I wrote is. stuff down. I'm reading. This is oh, all no. scripted. Everything I say from here on out is going to be scripted. Well, I'm doing a great job of playing your foil who knows nothing. Well, I, I guess what I was saying is there, there's no major move that was made in the way – a move to the opposite was made with uh, Minnesota losing Kevin Love. You don't really have the equivalent of that addition. I will say, obviously they've gotten worse and they will be bad, but I like the over for the uh, the Wolves' win total because we tend to exaggerate how bad a really big newsmaking bad thing is. I, I believe with these teams, you know, they'll still be they'll still be a competent team. You could argue- have a, this is a very competent little division besides the Jazz who are going to be awful but kind of like interesting in their own way. Read about Exum though, man. I, I loved Exum the first summer league game. You know, I, I tweeted a bunch of tweets about Exum that will look <laughs> hilarious. That will look hilarious <laughs> if he continues to struggle and he couldn't get any burn in the FIBA championships. There was this just moment in summer league where the Spurs, the Spurs summer league team just put size on him and guarded him with people like Austin Day, and he couldn't do anything. And it, it, it just he completely changed, and from that point forward, I, I'm just worried. I'm worried about Exum. Here's the note I will say, as somebody who had Exum number one in this draft class, so I have more to lose than you do in that wow. sense, is very, very young point guards have an incredibly high learning curve when it comes to the league. We've seen it even with guys like Livingston, who before his leg decided to implode, was getting a lot better. It just takes a while, and especially somebody like him that needs to physically develop and that has played zero competition. I think that he's going to look abysmal for the, at least the first year, probably the second year too. But that's what you expect. You know, if you're if a guy's coming in like Lillard when they're in their early 20s, it's going to look very different than when they're in their late teens. I also don't believe in Trey Burke. That's my other jazz issue. I like the idea of the jazz. I like the idea of the jazz better than the jazz. They're sort of like, I've made the analogy. Sort of like every bad NBA team. <laughs> well, yeah. or or every romantic comedy break, but, but they're specifically their own kind of uh, style because the Thunder or Thunder U. They got these high draft picks, and it's like a college with these young players growing in to an overall team dominance. 
the Jazz are like that with picks who just aren't necessarily as high or as prized, and it's not it's not coming together like it did for Thunder U. But I love the idea of all these high draft picks um, and youth on a team coalescing. It just it just doesn't get into gear. I dig this Rodney Hood pickup though. Yo, I saw Gordon Hayward speaking of the Jazz. This is apropos of only the fact that we're talking about the Jazz, but he has gained some muscle. Oh, my gosh. I saw him live at Madison Square Garden um, when Team USA came through and he was still on that squad, and it looked like his head had shrunk to, like, half the size that it was before because his shoulders were so much bigger. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. He looked great in Summer League, too. I, uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that. I just... I'm not a Trey Burke guy. I'm not. I know you've liked Trey Burke, Beckley. You're you're a Trey Burke guy. I'm not sure what he does really well at an NBA level, and he seems to dominate the ball. He doesn't seem to be an incredible passer. And at this level, he's a great college player, but at the NBA level, I just have doubts about him. The other big challenge I see with Utah is that their three best interior players all play the same position and can't guard power forwards. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I I I like Jaber. I like. Favors. Like I'm accent. all. I'm. I'm all right. My last name is Larue. I feel like I have to at least try to pronounce it like a Frenchman should. But but and and Cantor is all right. But I just don't see how any of those guys make sense together. And Trevor Booker is tolerable. But I I just don't see how their pieces fit. Though it doesn't necessarily matter how they fit this year. Yeah, it doesn't. The only reason I might have any kind of hope for them is. Youth is exciting, and Quinn Snyder is exciting. You, he, he's got all this, all this hype around him, and I love how he just looks—he just looks like some kind of movie villain. He looks like a man with a plan, uh, with like, dark you know plans. What he looks like is when the Simpsons have the mob. He looks like one of the guys who's like with Fat Tony. Oh yeah, yeah. I I know what you're talking. I know the exact guy, the skinny guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The guy who I always think of is like the same guy as Clamps. Exactly. It's probably the exact same guy. Oh, man. Clamps. Definitely. We tried to – I feel like in the early days of Hoopspeak, shout out to that blog, uh, (laughs) we tried to get Clamps to be like Avery Bradley's nickname. It's a great nickname if somebody just phrase it. If he would just stay healthy enough, I think it would have caught on. But he was just never on the court enough. Beckley, you probably never heard this, but I asked Kent Bazemore years ago who I who he thought played the best defense on Stephen Curry, and he, without hesitating, said Avery Bradley. Yeah, he just he's correct. Loved, he's, yeah, I agree. He's he's absolutely correct. Uh, Bradley destroyed Curry. They, they've only had a few meetings against each other, but I, I can't name somebody who's done a better job. But I'm sorry, I hijacked your podcast, Andy. I, I don't think you want people listening to the Jazz. You can you can go from best team to worst team. I don't know how you want to do this. I got us on this Jazz tangent, and for that, I'm sorry. You don't need to apologize. I think the tangents are part of the strength of the show. Mm-hmm. But we'll move on to the who who you guys think is going to be the best newcomer to their team. The best newcomer in the division to their team. What about my main man, Spellcheck, Aaron Aflalo? That's pretty good. That's he's, uh, the most like literal in terms of best. He's like the best new player in this division is Aaron Aflalo, but yeah. that's not like the best move. Probably, I thought it was a really curious move, but yeah, it sort of went under the radar too because he had a it just individually a fantastic season last year. It was just on a team that was awful, so nobody cared. So yeah, I'm with that. I I wish I could I wish I could counter with something, but like we said, there haven't been big moves in this division except for the subtracting move. So yeah, I'll I'll go with spell check. The other 
thing that it's not really an addition in that, but part of the reason why I'm higher on the Nuggets this time is that I'm a big fan of Danilo Gallinari. And if Gallinari can play more than zero, he's a substantial addition to that team because I think he's a good player and I think he makes sense with a flaw and loss and everything else. I'm out on Gallinari. I'm out on him. Mm. Not a player, but he's just one of those guys with scary running form, and I, I think he's going to get hurt again. I hate to put that curse on a player. It makes it sound like I'm rooting for him to get injured, but I don't think you can trust that he'll stay healthy. I know Matt Moore was was tweeting out that uh, the reason people think Clay Thompson's a better defender than Gallinari is uh, recency and hype and Warriors stuff, but I think a lot of it is just that he doesn't he doesn't stay healthy. He had the bad recovery from uh, from the ACL, I think, and I I just I wouldn't count on him, Danny. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just wouldn't count on him, and it's also it's hard for me to think of him without hearing Stephen A. Smith in my head go Daniello Gallinari. That's just also that's also a difficulty. Never do that accent again. <laughs> yeah, edit that out, Danny. Edit that out. <laughs> Ethan, is there anyone else you want to put the run form hex on right now? So the ten people on the planet who play fantasy basketball can know not to who to who not to. Yeah, draft. I did this last year. This is the worst thing. But last year I said that Derrick Rose is going to have a season-ending injury, um, which it, sound, it makes me sound like an old gypsy woman in Drag Me to Hell when I do something like that, where I'm putting a curse on a player. Nobody what sticks a reference. To- yeah, great movie. I would recommend that. <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, uh, with, with Justin Long. Justin Long, anybody? Um, are you gonna see Tusk? Tusk? No. Have you heard of this? No. Oh man! If you like, if, 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 if is you it based like on the guy from Me to Hell? You're gonna love Tusk. <laughs> Tusk is uh, the story of a man with a dream. And that dream is to turn Justin Long into a walrus by installing tusks in his face. Obviously. What? Is, is it the same centipede kind of thing? Is, is that what you, <laughs> you say centipede? I said, I said centipede, but I didn't say it correctly. Is it the same guy who plays the character on House of Cards second season? Because that would make it so much better. Wait, wait, the plays which guy? The rich guy on the second season oh, of House of Cards is named Tusk. Tusk. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't it... know. I just know that there's like a there's like one of those movies that's like all about torturing someone, yeah. and that someone is Justin Long. And the premise is that he's been kidnapped to be, you know, transformed into he's a walrus. A, doesn't make any sense. A walrus. A Why would you walrus. choose the skinniest dude in the world yeah. to make a walrus? Have some, you know, have some respect for nature. Yeah, First that's off. really an abomination. I can't get I can't get behind that at all. And why a walrus? Why just if you're gonna make somebody into an animal, make them into a useful animal. A walrus is like a couch with tusks. Just what's the what's the point of that? Right. The mean beanbag. Or, or like an extinct animal or something, you know, go go ambitious, well, go woolly mammoth. I think human walrus is is pretty ambitious. <laughs> do you do you get to keep your arms when that happens? Mm. Yeah, I think maybe I I think you would actually be good to keep arms and maybe do something messed up to the legs. So you kind of had to like, oh, God, oh, God, what what which one of these teams is most like a human walrus? Ooh, I think it's definitely Minnesota. Yeah, definitely. And the, but they can that move well. was their arms that he was clearly their arms or their legs or whatever limb is getting removed to make this animal even more useless. And that leads us into a question that should be easier to answer, <laughs> think, which is... This podcast is just going to be us 
going on crazy tangents and you going to incredible lengths to make it a segue into the next topic. You've just described Annie's podcast. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Glad to know you're a regular listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question is, what? not what rookie you think is going to be best. I think that's a silly thing. But what rookie are you most excited to see this year? I'm most excited to see Exum, even though I'm very worried. It, because that's the greatest reward. It's like in pickup basketball when people are mean and might be yelling at you. When the shot goes in, the relief is all the better. So I have a lot of emotional investment in Exum. Yeah, Exum would be cool. You know who I'm – I don't think he's going to play at all, which is kind of a bummer. But I really liked Gary Harris in – college is sort of like a ben gordon but like really tries on defense guy yeah and uh he's not going to get any run i don't think behind randy foy and a follow mm-hmm. but uh and nate robinson i guess but i would like to uh can, can I, I'm, just, I'm looking forward to him i think he's gonna have a nice little career can we pretend that gobert's a rookie because that's that's the young guy the young guy who hasn't gotten a lot of burn that i'm, I'm most excited to see yeah, I, I'm fine with that. The other guy, Mitch McGarry, in kind of a similar vein is no, uh, <laughs> no, Nurkic. Nur- no, I don't. I don't care about Mitch McGarry anymore. He burned me. <laughs> Nurkic. I think Nurkic gets playing That's time. He's he's kind of he he's kind of a badass. He's I think he'll. I, I'd like to see him and Peck on the floor together. I think it would be fun. And we know that Denver's bigs it's, are it's just so basically burly. an infirmary. It's just such a burly Eastern European combination. I'm with it. I'm with it. I is can get Peck it. good. Um, he's one of those guys where he's good by the look of the statistics, but as we learn more, your big either has to stretch the floor or guard the rim for your team to actually do things or to be a big, big boon to the team. So by those standards, probably not that great, but Zach Harper would bite your head off if he said so. Phrased a different way, Nikola Pekovic is a good basketball player, but he is not a good basketball player in a way that is particularly useful for a basketball team. Yeah, he can score reasonably well, he can rebound reasonably well, but he, it, you, what you need next to him in order to have a functional basketball team is insane. And crazily enough, D- Jang might end up being the closest thing, but I don't think we're gonna besides like Ibaka, but Ibaka's not there yeah. obviously. And so it's possible that they'll do that, but I don't think. They're ever going to GM coach Flip Saunders is going to play Jang and Pekovic together that much to see if that actually works. I, I mean, and with Jang, I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure, even though I'm excited about him, I'm not sure if he's the rim protector that, that you would need. And th- there might be a strategic advantage, though, because uh, with, with, with Pekovic, he might be the strongest player in the league. So if you were ever in the playoffs, which isn't happening anytime soon for this team, but if you were and you had another big who was weak, I could see that advantage getting pressed in the way advantages are pressed in the playoffs. So that's what I'll say in defense of Pekovic, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have given him that contract. And I generally have a very reductive view of bigs where can you protect the rim? Can you stretch the floor? Uh, if it's no for both those questions, I'm just not that interested. I swipe. I'm very puzzled I don't swipe. by Flip Saunders' Perfect. charisma, which he must have in some regard to get the job that he has. Definitely. See, he had success, too, earlier in his career. But, but guys like that with Don... Yeah, but come on. I that, mean... That old former player kind of... Is he a for, like, former player at Minnesota, I yeah. guess? But like, it's, not like a, it's not like he's a glamorous former player. Yeah, he must have no, some person charisma. You know, and this is something we don't ever talk about when we talk about the machinations of the league. But charisma is huge, and some of these guys 
like in House of Cards, can move up certain ranks in ways that are imperceptible to us, and that can have a lot of lot of meaning, you know. And yeah, I mean, when I was it, isn't... when I was uh, I worked uh, like briefly, kind of like helped out in production of a show that he was on, and so I would like sit in these meetings with him where he would we would talk about what was going to be on the show, and he would give his opinions and whatever else, and like I don't know, man, I just. I'm very puzzled by how he could, I mean, he's got, he's like one of the most powerful people, you know, in a team organization in the NBA. Like he's got a deal that like three other people have and two of them are recognized as, you know, some of the better coaches in the last couple of decades. I love that that deal happens for the most part, that amount of power, it's either because of incredible competence or utter organizational dysfunction. (laughs) <laughs> well, he basically Dick Cheney'd himself because he had a search committee and decided to choose himself as the coach. I mean, considering after the Hoiberg thing, because wasn't he in charge of finding the coach? And they yeah. just like, ah, like, Hoiberg said, no, thing. we're good. Funny coincidence, guys. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. It turns out the best guy for this job is looking at you right now. <laughs> I like to imagine Flip Saunders arguing with himself like he's sort of got this like dissociative personality where he's able to like create flip saunders the coach and flip saunders the gm and like there's like a weird scene in the future 30 for 30 on this team where like flip is doing a a press conference but he's doing it as both people and like using different voices and like his hair kind of flips to the side in a different way depending on who he is is, and pulling it back up I love the idea of him coming to Glenn Taylor and going, I don't want to do it, but I think we're going to have to fire the coach. I- Can I say that I believe in Harvey Dent more than I believe in Flip Saunders? <laughs> oh, okay. I want to take you guys on an aside because we were talking about this with Flip Saunders. I think that it's really stupid that the reason that players cannot be player coaches is because of the is because of the salary purposes. Mm-hmm. My proposal is that they should allow a player to be a coach. You just count every, all of their salary against their maximum, and you count it all against the salary cap if they wanted yeah, to vote. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that, and it would bring more dysfunction and funny business to the league, which helps me in, in my job. So I'm totally with that. Uh, that. That would be enjoyable. It seems like they just wouldn't want to do it because it's a complication, and people who have a certain amount of power don't want to cede it to others. But, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't buy that. I don't I buy that, that as a reason they can't. For- yeah, for a bunch of teams, that would just be like a formal distinction. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the the NBA has been putting out really good Instagram videos from camps. And I'm sure there's like more long form on their dot com. But one of them was of uh, the Cavs practice. And it's like you can see kind of blurry and there's like a phantom cam. And like you see kind of blurry in the background, David Blatt kind of by the sideline and like clearly standing like right at the top of the key pointing to everyone and like telling them where to move and how to do things is LeBron. Like it appears LeBron is like the head coach of that team. And like, obviously Blatt would be stupid not to give him a lot of responsibility, but leverage, but even, but even like LeBron is just brilliant. So like, you know, I'm sure Chris Paul does a lot of the same things. Like, you know, said that like Jason Kidd did a lot of those things when he was in New York. And I think like that it, it would be, you know, sort of like a formal distinction, and there w- it's not like every team would have a coach. So it would be cool if they just if they did it. And you know what? If you if you can bargain for that, I say just pay them whatever they want. Don't worry about the cap. Just dump the money truck. Have a yep. coaching cap or something. 
Right, I I think that would be fun with LeBron. His leverage is immense in part because he's already shown a willingness to bolt if he doesn't like a situation. So it's not just the standard superstar power. The rumblings out of Miami, it's that they didn't they amnestied his friend and that ultimately swung him off the fence and caused him to leave. So you have to be walking on eggshells and dealing with them, um, even even more so. But that's out of the division. I'm again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dan. No, I'm sorry. Plus, if being a player coach is good enough for Bill Russell, if he can do it, obviously Carmelo Anthony can oh, do it, too. Oh, yes, I would love that. <laughs> I want Scott Brooks, speaking of this division, to have that deal that Flip Saunders has. I want to see what decisions Scott Brooks would make as a GM, who's also a coach. Mm. Okay, open question to both of you. If you were, if you knew that Kevin Durant could leave in two years as an unrestricted free agent, would you still have Scotty Brooks as his head coach? I wouldn't have Scotty Brooks as his head coach anyway. I mean, I I think that's a squandering of resources that they have in this head coach. I, it, it's just, it feels horrible. It feels horrible to fire people from afar when you don't have a complete picture of everything they do. But I've seen enough from him in terms of his decisions. Does it really feel horrible, Ethan? <laughs> well, I want people to think it does. <laughs> I want people to think that I'm not so I'm not so callous. I don't know. I'll tell you what. I had my last straw with Scott Brooks, and it's a minor thing. It's a straw that broke the camel's back or whatever cliche you want to apply to it. When Brooks was coming out and saying that Westbrook is the best point guard. Now, that's a fine opinion. I don't have any problem with that opinion. That's a totally reasonable, plausible opinion to have. But his justification pissed me off. His justification was that, well, I, I, it's because I see him in practice every day, and I see him play, play the games up close. This is a relative distinction, Scott Brooks, the the idea that you know because you're the guy who sees a lot of Westbrook, I, there's just something so stupid about that explanation that set me off. I just I just hated that because it's the same sort of I know the heart that Kendrick Perkins brings us and everything. I, I I'm just I'm I'm over it. it may, maybe I'm unfair just because uh, the things he does are are so stupid, but I, I'm over it. Over Scott. There's like an Occam's Razor thing with him where you're like. You don't want to believe that someone could be coaching 60-win teams and, like, be getting paid millions of dollars and have these incredible players apparently, you know, really enjoy playing with him and be dumb. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't seem like that's, like a, like, a thing. You're like, why, you know, there's only 32 of these jobs and he's got one of the five best or whatever. Yeah, it it, it doesn't certain seem... point, it just like thing the evidence mounts and like I'm still not willing to believe it. I don't think, but it's just it is troubling. I mean, they just run pin down, pin down, pin down. Not a lot of complexity with the offense and well, the substitution. I don't think that's a problem. Like, you know, I don't think it's a complexity thing. I think it's, I think the biggest thing a coach does right is like you know you put in some philosophies at the start of the season. You have a couple good out of bounds plays. And then you just play the right guys in the right combinations. Like, that's the thing that the coach has the most control over is who plays. It's really the only thing he absolutely controls in a game. And, and that kind of stuff yeah. is what drives you nuts. And what I was working on a project earlier in the season, it doesn't look like it's going to turn into a piece, but or early in the offseason. And what I was looking into was teams that had their best five players, who obviously if they had to play positions that it would be reasonable to put it as a lineup, who did that very rarely. Like, for me, the Clippers never played Reddick and Crawford together with Chris Paul. With Oklahoma City, to me, last year, their best five players were Durant, Westbrook, Ibaka, Nick Collison, and Reggie Jackson. Yeah. 
those five players played together, it was less than 30 minutes the entire season. Mm-hmm. Well, what what are they going to do as far as the starting lineup goes this season? I I would go with Reggie Jackson as the shooting guard, but I'm not sure. Is it going to be? Gonna play I'm, it I'm might be our old. Like, I'm saying this like I talked with Scott about it. We're on first name basis, my boy Scott. Like I talked with him about it earlier. I think they'll play Lamb. I think what is puzzling though is like you saw Reggie Jackson. You know, and and how devastating he is off the dribble. And oh, you love you some Reggie Jackson. You you oh, are man. Big guards, the big guards who get to the rim are, yeah. uh, you know, sweet. And, you know, if he learns to shoot, it's going to be even better. But, you know, you play if you play two guards who can get to the rim with Durant and you play fast, it's like, what do you even do? And that combination, like the fact that they never play them together, you just you just felt like the Thunder's problem was always they got so stagnant. And when they swung the ball, they always swung it to guys who could basically catch and either shoot or pass. And this was a guy who could do that thing that Mario Chalmers did so well for the Heat, which is he would catch it, and he would either take the shot or he would attack the basket really hard. And Chalmers kind of broke the thunder in the finals when they won because he kept beating Westbrook off the dribble when they would, you know, skip it to him, swing it to him quickly. And it was like, that's Reggie Jackson. Like, he is going to do that. He's going to make the right attack. You know, he's going to attack. He's going to make the right pass-shoot decision going to make their offense much more dynamic in a way it hasn't since they played Harden with those two and we just never saw it and that was you mean it couldn't be more obvious that Reggie Jackson could go for 18 and 6 you know on a bad team like why not play him with your other really good players when it matters most and instead we got all those Fisher and Butler minutes Ugh, just awful completely terrible and I get that they don't have a lot on the bench I, I understand the idea this isn't a searing indictment of Brooks if, if Jackson's coming off the bench. Because I get that. You don't have a lot yep. in that second in that second unit. But, hey, he's he's worked out for them. He's become really good. I don't know how much he's going to get paid. That's the other thing with Reggie Jackson. How much is he going to get paid uh, when, he's, when he's up for free agency? I think that's your department, Danny. That is. And the, the other point, I think, Ethan, you brought up a good point with the bench and all that, and Beckley brought it up too, but – the other point with that is it's fine if he comes off the bench, but you still have him close the game if he's one of your five best guys. Yeah. And that's another big problem with Scotty Brooks is it seems like he doesn't give a crap about who his five best players are. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. And maybe, hey, maybe there was some pressure to play Kendrick Perkins from management who didn't want who didn't want the non-amnesty to be a, to be a bad thing and wanted to validate the trade they made. But that is just maddening. I, I can't I can't wrap my arms around it. I can't wrap. I, I know everybody makes fun of it to the point where it's a cliche, but it it, it doesn't cease. I I just why why does yeah, it continue? You want Kendrick when you're playing Lamarcus, and you want Kendrick when you're playing maybe the Grizzlies or something. But also, you know what? Here's what I'll say though: is I think Nick Collison love is like a little bit much. Because like he's he, such a situational player, because he couldn't... Well, because he averages, like, nine fouls a game. Like, yeah. he's a little bit, you know, right. He's getting the he's most out the of those 15 minutes, and he's playing against backups. And, like, I, I, th- I think he's actually... He's not, like, a... To me, he's not a good starter. On yeah. Oh, agreed. I think he's a valuable he's a valuable backup, but you can use a guy like that. You can use part of his fifteen minutes to be to end in ga- to end games if Stephen Adams isn't ready yet. Yeah. Um, oh man, Stephen Adams. 
that dude. That I love, dude a, I love Adam, Adam Uh I saw, so I was at um, the game when they played the Trailblazers, and I think they lost, like, almost on a last-second thing. It was like LaMarcus Aldridge was just went off against them, but he made a play where he was running full speed, and someone threw it over the top to him, and he, big guys <laughs> aren't good at this, catching it over the shoulder, knowing where he was in relation to the hoop, and, like, kind of pivoted off of one foot to get his balance and get back in position and made this, like, very deft little lay-in. And that was a play that I it just was, like, stunning to me how athletic it was. He's going to just be a, you know. That that was a good pick. And that was a pick yeah. that he did to nail because, really, Lamb hasn't worked out so far. I think we can admit that. Maybe it'll be different this year. But they needed to get some return on that Harden trade, and it looks like – Hey, after after some misses, because they were known as a team who couldn't miss, and yet they got Aldrich, and that of course didn't work out. It seems like they hit with Stephen Adams, and I'm I'm also bullish on him. I'm I'm bullish on him, and uh, it's just maybe that's what Scott Brooks' value is: is that they just get an awesome return on some of these young guys. Yeah, and I feel like their guys grow. Uh, but I wanted to get you both in trouble with this question. I thought of it while we were talking. Mm. Let's fast forward to. This time in 2017, so three years from now, of the three best players on the Thunder, so it's Westbrook, Durant, and Serge Ibaka, at that point, all three of them will have been unrestricted free agents. How many of them are still playing in Oklahoma City? I think Ibaka, uh, because he signed that sucker-tastic deal. So I, I, I would just assume that I would assume that he likes being there because he signed that below-market deal. Uh, you know, I'll go two of the three. I'll go Westbrook, Ibaka, and Durant leaves. Hmm. I like to imagine a world in which Westbrook comes to the Knicks, Durant goes to the Lakers, and Ibaka, I don't know, he can do whatever he wants. He goes to Spain. <laughs> I say zero. I, I think it's going to be one or zero, depending on what Serge Ibaka wants. Because the, the idea is that, for me, whenever a guy hits unrestricted free agency for the first time, you find out what they really want. And my gut, I I don't have any insight on this, I'm not claiming I have insider information, is that I think Westbrook's gone. I think he's gone anyway. Why Westbrook? It seems like if Durant was gone, then Westbrook would want the full reins and want run of the team. But he can get that somewhere else in a city. Like He could get that with the Lakers. Because the Lakers aren't going to get anybody else. He could get that with the Knicks because the Knicks aren't going to get any... The Knicks might get somebody else. The Knicks might get Durant. But I don't think... I think that Westbrook... My my gut says that the, how this happens... And I, I actually said this... I don't know if Ethan remembers this. I said this to you almost a year and a half ago. I think that <laughs> Westbrook... I think that Westbrook is going to tell Durant that he's leaving. And Durant will factor that into his decision. Hmm. Interesting. Because... Because basically, I think Durant would only stay if he knows that all the other two guys are staying. Because otherwise, he's just going to become what Kobe is now. Because nobody's going there. Yeah. You know, nobody nobody's going to Oklahoma City. Once one of them leaves, nobody they're not replacing them with anybody but Stephen Adams. Yeah, yeah, I could see that playing out as a scenario. I just wonder a confounding variable in all of this is: Do we expect Westbrook to stay healthy? This is something that we don't talk about enough because. We want to be positive. There's a bias towards positivity, I believe, when it comes to discussing basketball, so we don't talk about injury risk in the way we should. The countless articles... more about injury than about basketball, but keep going. Yeah, well, you know. 
Uh, but, but for instance, last year, Derrick Rose, he's going to come back. The Bulls are going to win over 60 games this year. And the maybe it's true, who knows, but the ESPN forecast, my colleagues voted Derrick Rose as third most likely to win the MVP this year. I believe there's a bit of a too much positivity when it comes to injury and recovery. Now, obviously Westbrook has not seemed hindered by his injuries, but he's had he's had two to the knees, and that type of player, the super explosive athletic guard who vaults towards the rim, uh, tends to rack him up. So I just I think that could be a confounding variable in all of this if we get an ACL something like that from Westbrook um, that could tilt him towards staying or leaving, probably staying. I, I don't know. I have a feeling like it'll be something more like a, a weird injury, like a patella based on contact rather than an ACL. That's just my, oh, my instinct. It feels that, so but, unseemly. I, I, uh, I yeah, I want to just rewind a little bit. I do, I do think that if Durant stayed in Oklahoma City and they had the max, I think they would be able to get a player to come play with Durant. In Oklahoma City? Yeah. I guess if they got love to go to Cleveland uh, with LeBron. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He'd be maybe I say at this point like decent chance, like thirty percent chance he's the best player in the NBA, and he's a guy that everybody likes, and he's recruiting you, and you get the max. Why I don't see why that would like he would be unable to get people there. I don't, yeah, if, I don't if, know what it says about me that if Durant recruited me to come to Oklahoma City and just be a person out there, not even play basketball, I just it, for a lot more money than I, I, I just couldn't do it. But I think the rich are different than you and I and these NBA players. Maybe the city doesn't matter too much to them because they're in this echelon. Um, and Dude, if you if you were making twenty million dollars, you would live in Oklahoma City. Uh, maybe, I don't even want to hear. A second of bullshit. how many days how many days do i have to spend there you work there for like 200 days then you get to live in wherever you want plus you can go home on like long home stands plus you're richer than god so then like you know you got the rest of your life to be wherever you want yeah i'd probably do oh, 20 yeah and, and and also you're spending half of your days in the regular season not there so you you're living out of a hotel in, anyway. Yeah, you're living out of a hotel anyway. Here's one that I'll say: if the Warriors don't get things together and Cleveland doesn't have the money to pay him, Stephen Curry would be a very dangerous proposition for Oklahoma City. Yeah, um, I could. Frankly, that's that's the rumbling, the rumblings that is not talked about because the local Bay Area media doesn't really do things like that. But there's substantial fear that, that Steph's bolting. I, that, that if, you're looking, if you're looking at the situation, if you're reading the tea leaves... Um, Where would he go? Well, the, uh, the Hornets, uh, for one. Uh, I don't think he's going I think I think the Warriors have to... Well, Warriors fans should root for Kemba Walker to become a thing. That's number one. Um, what if he went to Miami? I, I'm not sure which teams will have availability then. But I, I think he's I think he's yeah. going to play with at least one elite player. So to me, the the immediate contenders are wherever Durant is, wherever LeBron is, and and New Orleans because that's where Anthony Davis is. Yeah, I just think you'd be stupid not to be afraid of it a bit, not to have fear. I don't. I'm not predicting it. I'm not saying it's going to happen or saying that I I, I heard for sure. You just watch the situation and you see all the instability that uh, has surrounded his career. That's not really his fault and how the organization seems to do a lot of things that it wants to do, regardless of whether or not Curry wants, uh, wants those things done, under the idea that Steph's cool with everything, he's a, you know, a go-along, get-along 
kind of guy uh, right down to, and this might seem minor, the jerseys, the shirt jerseys, the sleeve jerseys. They're Adidas brand, so that's a competing shoe brand of the one that Curry is trying to be the guy for. Uh, the, the same, just the guy. He hates the shirt jerseys. He's talked about them. He's called them ugly. He's said that he would prefer not to play with them, and they're just rolling out another design. They're going to keep pushing this. I think that, to me, is indicative of a situation where you can't be too shocked if he leaves. Well, the, they did. Well, okay. One, they did the same with LeBron, who's the biggest shoe athlete in America, and for Nike, obviously, all all NBA jerseys are Adidas, so it doesn't. Um, yeah, but anyway, the do you think that Curry actually wanted Mark Jackson to stay? Hmm, it's a really tough question. I, I, I think for him, he didn't want him to go. He didn't want him to stay, but it wasn't a hill to die on. I, that's the. But I think a lot of the players actually did want Jackson out, and you're seeing you're seeing more of that. You're seeing more of how it's a it's like Game of Thrones. They're all liars here, you know, with the NBA where the player says to the media, oh, I want the coach to, to, to remain the coach. He's my guy. And it's total BS. They just play the political game and they say it because the, it's it's just a good play. You know, the what coach else stays, are you going to say? Yeah. If the coach stays and you supported him and you backed him, if he leaves, the owner doesn't care that you st- stood up for the coach. And you can just as easily tell the owner that that was all BS. So it doesn't matter. You saw how the Warriors felt when so many of the Warriors players were watching summer league games with Darren Ehrman this summer, you know, even guys who were out there vocally supporting Jackson were sitting with the guy who, uh, you know, who recorded the conversations and is not a friend of Jackson's, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you saw that and they were with him. So how much could they really be in Jackson's corner? if That was the case. And now what you're seeing is little veiled shots getting taken at the way practice was run uh, and some of the things David Lee is saying to the media, for instance, you're seeing that it wasn't as united a front as it seemed to be to the public. I think it could also even be more simple than what Ethan's saying. I agree with I agree with his interpretation, but I actually think it's a little bit easier, and it's that they weren't thinking as far ahead. They were thinking, this is our coach, yes. this is kind of a weird reason to fire him, so we're going to support him through that. And then once that was done, and they actually hired somebody who it might actually be competent, more competent than Mark Jackson was at doing the things that a coach is supposed to do, beyond motivate a team, they went, oh, this is nice. Okay, we'll do that. And so that way, they don't even have to think through the whole process of a hill to die on or anything like that. They just, they did what they felt. And then once they had new circumstances, they did what they felt again. Athletes are really focused on the process and the thing they're doing now. I think we do a lot of analysis and over-analysis of all the implications of everything. They have this really taxing job to do that it just absorbs a lot of their focus. And I, I, I saw some of that just in being around Kent Bazemore when he was going through free agency. And I assumed that he would be swimming in Twitter and reading every rumor and taking a million phone calls. And no, nah, he just bikes all day and he barely cares about it. And he has an agent to handle that. I, that's how a lot of these guys are where um, they compartmentalize to a degree that we do not. And how media members have a better idea of who the GMs are for teams than the players do, the people who actually, whose contracts and whose set checks are actually signed. I mean, that's just the way that it is. You know, their job is playing basketball. And so while some of them care about that stuff and they read the rumors and everything else, other guys don't. And they're allowed to do that. You know, that's not a part of their job. Jackson's one true ally, it seems, was Iguodala. That's that's the guy where 
And Jermaine. And Jermaine, who's not a member of the team anymore, so it doesn't matter. Right. Um, I'm not saying your point doesn't matter, Danny. I'm saying yeah, that Draymond? It, 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 Interesting, because Draymond well, seemed who to be was really watching, riding for him. Who, who was watching Summer League with Ehrman, you know? Draymond. Um, but... <laughs> Wow! Wow! In case anybody didn't follow the follow the bouncing ball, the answer Ethan. the answer to to that to that question was Draymond Green. The question I just asked uh, was rhetorical, <laughs> but I would like to also answer it in case there is uh, a lack of clarity here. the The player to which I was referring is I should have uh, you know I, I messed it up because I really should have done it in a more author- like the unveiling of a mystery and who was watching with him. <laughs> Draymond Green, and you just envision me pointing a quivering finger at a, a portrait of Draymond Green as light <laughs> and thunder flash. Yeah, that's how I should have done like it. Like the eyes blink on the portrait. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ethan, I want to go back to Curry for a second. Sure. Since we haven't talked about it on the podcast after it happened, this is the other reason that the Kevin Love non-trade is so unbelievably stupid to me. Is that Love would have been a really good reason to stay. Clay is fine. He's a good player. Like a song, nice Danny. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 honestly, it probably is a song. It's definitely been a word. It's definitely been a phrase used in a movie or television show in the last yeah. twenty years. Well, and so it just to me it just makes the whole situation stupider because Durant might have come there. Durant might have come to play with Love and Curry, but I don't know that you know Clay doesn't have the same magnetism either in his personality or in his play. Yeah, and. I, I'm 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 noodling around with writing about this because something is bothering me about this team, and I can't put my finger on it because they are a good team. Uh, there are competent, smart people involved in it, but there seems to be almost a complacency uh, of thinking they're there right now because they don't want to make certain difficult decisions. When you see how friendly uh, how friendly their current starting power forward is with the owner, and how they haven't made that necessary move. I, I think it's a necessary move. They haven't done that yet. And in the case of Clay Thompson, he's somebody they really like. He is beloved. There's something about him. He's got a little brother kind of charisma to him. Now, maybe what they did was all in the merits of basketball, but you can't help but feel that this was a discomforting move for them to make, and that had some influence on why they didn't make it, even though the cold, calculating decision would have been to go for Kevin Love. Yeah, I think coaches love Clay. Um I thought, yeah, I thought it was, they just, you know, we've talked about it. They played the game hoping that uh, LeBron wouldn't leave. As soon as that happened, it was all over. But the Clay thing is weird because, as you know, from talking to him and even from watching him, he does not seem like a super dynamic fellow, but uh, people like him. People really like him. And that, you know, I think we also underestimate, like, we think, you know, I think Kevin Arnovitz sort of was someone who does this really well, and I think it's a really useful exercise. But like thinking about NBA players as coworkers rather yes. than as stars, and like the NBA as you know an NBA team as an office, and you know whatever like the locker room as your little like work group area, and there you know you can sympathize with the idea that like someone you enjoy being around is worth maybe a little bit you know lower performance because it just makes your life nice and, 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 uh, and we should we should emphasize that Kevin Love is not reputed to be that guy if you're if you're weighing the two options it's not yeah. he, Kevin Love is not 
the things that are said about Kevin Love are not the same, the, the same as the things that are said about Clay Thompson. And that, that analogy is great, that it is an office, and Clay might not be a superstar, but he's a superstar coworker. He's a superstar guy to have around, and so that has an influence. Yeah, the way that I describe it is that Clay has an absence of negatives. You think about all the things that can make you, if you want to think about it as a coworker or basketball player, the ways that you make you not like somebody. Maybe they're, they talk too loud when they're on the phone at their desk or they eat or something like that. Clay, he doesn't, not off the court, he's easy. He, he Like Andre Iguodala said at Media Day, you know what you're going to get from him. And a lot of guys said things similar to that. And on the court, he doesn't take shots from anybody else. He doesn't really do anything because basically all of his usage is he gets the ball when he's open and he shoots it and then he's unselfish as a defender because he tries hard and all that. So he's the type of guy that you want to play with if you think that you're good because you want shots and he's not going to take them away from you. Yeah, and I, it was funny when I asked uh, Draymond that question, why do you like Clay so much? Not that accusatorily. <laughs> uh, what? do you like clay? And I said, yeah. And he goes, why? And I, I said, first thing popped in my head is he doesn't give me any trouble. And I think that's, that that's true of them too, even though it's a totally different media versus, but you, you'll write about guys and certain guys will give you trouble. They'll say, why did you say that about me? So that's what you think. I've written so many critical things about Clay Thompson, things that have maybe trended into perhaps mean, meaner than I intended. He doesn't <laughs> care. He is, if we talk about compartmentalizing, he just, you know, basketball and Xbox for him and his dog, or at least reputationally, those are the three, those are the three things with a huge focus on the basketball, which is why the coaches love him. And there isn't a lot of extra bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it all fits together with him. I think that's the main, like, it all fits together in a way that other people are going to be happy with. And with a guy like Kevin Love, it doesn't. He's a much different package. And while, to me, that package is a substantially better basketball player in ways that make your basketball team better. That is that is a part of the equation that I think a lot of us don't think about enough. Yeah, especially I think, people. Like, I, it drives me nuts when I see these articles about like, you know, someone has this personality thing, but like on the court, like it's like a, it's a it's a non basketball issue. And I always want to be like, dude, someone who works with you. That it is a performance issue. If they piss you off, that's a performance issue because then you're pissed off and your performance matters. Boogie like, for America. Like, <laughs> yeah, Boogie. Like, what, I don't know. Can we talk about know, this? Is a total tangent, but can Lance, we talk about Lance? It's like, come on. Like, if you're annoying everybody, it doesn't matter if you put up good stats and even if like you are marginally helping the team while you're on the court. Like, part of your job is not just what you produce, but like playing nicely with others and if you don't do that it just really bothers me when writers and it seems to be i'm just kind of kind of going off here but it seems to be there's like this sort of like white guilt thing with guys who have like what a lot of bad writers will do like a stereotypical like angry black man thing and then there's this like backlash it's like no it's actually great that he does all these things it's like well Maybe it's in the middle. Maybe it's like he's not an angry yes. black man. He's just kind of a dick, and people shouldn't have to work with dicks. Well, it, it is an overcorrection, I think, to that angry older white guy sports writer uh, going crazy about something Ricky Williams did. Or I'm trying to think players <laughs> who are maybe misunderstood, basketball players who are misunderstood by the media. I think Charles Barkley was like that in the early 1990s and late 1980s. Uh, I mean, Shaq was like that when they deified Kobe. 
I mean, that Kobe was this worker and Shaq was the goof around guy. Granted, it was mostly true from <laughs> yeah. what I know, but but I mean, that same thing happened. The other name that I wanted to include is Dwight Howard. I think that Dwight Howard might be the greatest example of this that nobody talks about. Yeah. Uh, well, Dwight, Dwight's so weird because Dwight has distractions, but he's so happy-go-lucky. He's not emanating a lot of he's not emanating a lot of what you see with Cousins. But I'm I'm, I'm with Beckley on this because there seems to be this unwillingness to even grapple with how maybe a guy just is awful to deal with, and it's not the man keeping him down. It's not it, 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 Cousins is cousin Cousins is Cousins because he's Cousins. There's no conspiracy to make him look bad. If you talk to the people in the Sacramento media, they will not have good stories. Perhaps that will change. He's a young man. You know, perhaps he will improve going forward, but it's not some sort of uh, – just so many people were willing like it was a, like it was a human rights crime when it seemed as though he wasn't <laughs> going to make Team USA. You know, they were lining up. Now, he did make Team USA uh, for this round of, round of FIBA, but the reaction to it – and you, you sense a divide. You see a divide – the people who who actually have to deal with players, and I'm not saying that the people who actually have to deal with players are better or better writers or offer more value, but you see the split where the people who actually deal with players are generally more sensitive to the idea that a guy can be a bad character guy and that's an issue than people who don't. The people who don't, they don't have to interact with them and they don't have to see it, so it's just not relevant to their, their view of the NBA. Well, and, and that's, that's how Mason Plumley. Yeah. Well, it's a weird kind of non-empathy also to like, anyway. But the, I think a great example of this is Kyle Lowry, who was like, if you read that, if you read the Abrams feature on him, I thought it was really interesting because yeah. like, he was so, he had such a reason to be angry. And he was such a, like, you know, he he admits it, like he was very you know, he thought everyone was out to get him because he had had some experiences early in his life that like conditioned him to be that way. And, you know, you, you, you can have empathy and say, man, that kid has like had a really tough time and I hope he figures it out. And also say, that's not good for the team or whatever that he works on. Like there's, I think it's, it's possible to hold both views and it's great that like, you know, the, I think that's one like the saddest things I've ever read about a basketball player was when he was talking about Chauncey Billups and how working out with Chauncey was like the first time, like any, like when Chauncey would give him encouragement, it sounded like, you know, it was like a revelation that he would just want to do better just to make Chauncey give him encouragement. And like he wow. had that kind of relationship with Rick Adelman also. And that's like a very fundamental thing that I think a lot of people are I guess in some ways lucky to have with their parents or with someone in their life. And like, he didn't have that. It's why he never got along with coaches. It's why he got moved from team to team, but he was talented, which is why people stuck with him. And it's kind of come together now, but it's possible to be Kyle Lowry and be a person who has potential to, to, you know, have his own kid, figure it out, you know, turn his life around and also be Kyle Lowry, like super destructive force on, a couple teams where it's like, it's just a major problem and you have to remove them. Yeah. And I just think that there's like a, an inability that to be truly empathetic to what a person is actually like, and instead either fit them into one stereotype or another one, which is sort of an unconscious one where you actually think that you're doing the guy a favor, but you're not being real about what his impact is on the people around him. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. And I would say that there are also people who aren't who don't have the depth that Kyle Lowry had that enabled him to grow. You know, some guys like any workforce, there are incredibly smart, cool people and people who aren't so smart and aren't so cool. And it's just it's just a smattering of all kinds who make up the NBA. And there are some guys who are just lost causes. But for some reason, some reason there is a propensity on what we will call basketball Twitter to take up for the lost cause. And maybe it's bound up, not with the white guilt. Uh, maybe it's about rooting for the underdog. I don't know. But it can just be an annoyance if you have some insight into how awful a coworker somebody is. Yeah, and I think that one of the things people ask me a lot, you know, covering the league, and I'm sure you guys get asked this a lot, is like, what have you learned from that? And what I tell people mostly is that they're, basketball players are human beings, and so some of them are smart, some of them are funny, some of them are sulky, some of them are jerks, you know, just like any, any other collection of individuals, like Ethan was saying, and as Beckley said before, and there's a lot more depth and complication just as in the say, scope of it, because people are boiled down to a single personality type on, let's say like NBA 2K games or something like that. And they think about that and people in their own lives think, Oh, you know, people aren't seeing the real me or, Oh, I'm more complicated, anything like that. But a lot of times athletes, entertainers, whoever aren't given that same leeway with the understanding that how we see them even is a, is just a small segment of their life. Yeah. And that's just the way that it is. And these personal dynamics, I mean, the Cleveland Cavaliers very well may have been sunk in LeBron's last year by some sort of personal dynamic. We don't know, but it could have been something like that. There have probably been lots of teams, maybe the Pacers. I mean, there were some reports of, about them. You know, that kind of thing can happen. And, and so, there are factors outside of it. And sometimes what we know isn't the whole truth. And it's it's very complicated because we're being lied to constantly because these guys are selling <laughs> us shoes. They're selling us an image of a team. So, you know, there is there is a player who's a very prominent player who's known as a very classy guy and a model of what the NBA player should be, who also, you know, people, beat writers will tell you, is just crazy the extent to which he well he does stuff on the road i'll just keep it really vague i don't i don't want it i don't want to be isolated and, and get back but I, I will say that there there are people like that where the let's just public, say when he goes to atlanta <laughs> well you know there, there are people where their public image is so divorced from who they really are which doesn't even necessarily make them a bad person but we are seeing just a snippet of uh of what some of these guys some of these guys are and it's amazing how just a little bit of reality could completely shatter an image we saw that with tiger woods who i don't think you could condemn him as a bad guy people have different kinds of marriages he's on the road all the time but for some reason that new fact of that guy's life contrasted with what people had in their heads this very two-dimensional image and completely shattered it i agree draymond green <laughs> I can Yeah, he was the answer to this question too, and now he's no, no, no. It's not now Jamie he's credentialed. Well, he's not even married. I don't think. I don't think he is. Uh, and and if, and if he is, you didn't say that the person yeah, was married. You just said back. they were classy. Oh, the person the was person married. Is married huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After all that wonderful conversation, let's talk a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about the Kevin Love trade from Minnesota's angle because, as it all turned out, and I don't want to make this into a super leading question, but. Isn't what they got pretty much the best result they were going to get in terms of what they got back in the trade? The, the money is still flying out of the slot machine. No, I, 
I I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far because I am suspicious of Wiggins. I'm a Wiggins doubter. You know, I didn't even name him as the rookie yeah, that right. I want to see. Because you'll see everything you want to see from him in the highlights for this year. Yeah. You're not going to want to watch those half-court possessions. Yeah. I want to I want to watch him play defense. That's what I want to see because a, he has potential there and if he can I think he's going to be more of a defensive player than an offensive player for his entire career. I'm not sure his offense will ever get there. I I'm with that. He's got this he he's almost like a ghost in the way he can shadow a player. A little bit worried about his strength um and size. Uh that would be the only knock I would have on his defense from what I've seen so far. Uh it's something beyond his control. But offensively there, there is a worry because you can't just base your repertoire on step back, long two jumpers, uh, which seems to be what he was going for at Summer League. And there just isn't a fluidity to his movement on offense like you see on defense. Mm-hmm. He's very, very rigid with the ball. Ethan, yeah. are you saying that Harrison Barnes is not a good offensive player? Is that what I'm getting from you? Well, I, I would say that there is a similarity between those two players, and that's that should be a concern uh, to to the Wolves. Yeah, they both seem to be doing like um, combo moves, like when they go, they're not like improvising. It's like they've they've like there's like a series of things that they're doing that they're executing, and either it's going to work or it isn't thing about that that wolves trade is yeah it was the value of wiggins changed so much just based on that trade because you always thought like okay if he grows up playing with lebron he's going to learn all the best habits he's going to see the game from you know this brilliant perspective of this great wing player and he's going to learn how to make smart plays blah 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 uh now he goes to the wolves and you see that development curve you know, really flatten out. I mean, at least I would expect it to, even though he'll probably get maybe some more opportunities. Um, But even then, it's not like that's a garbage team where they're just going to let him kind of like 76ers in with Michael Carter-Williams. Like, they're going to try to win 45 games for whatever reason. So that team, I think, is still pretty whack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I would agree. And not an an aesthetically pleasing team, even though a lot of people – are excited to see their young talent. The the main Does thing. Does Ricky people, Rubio count as young talent anymore? He's still young. He's only like twenty five. He counts as a young reclamation project. Oof. Yeah. You know, I I was just listening to to Amin El Hassan talking about him. He waves the cape for Ricky, just that he can. Oh, he's only twenty three. He can shoot a three pointer. He just can't make a layup. You know. He got, he, he no, he makes he makes layups of, as well as Paul George. Yeah, that's true. But Paul George has those dunks, and that kind of helps. Paul George is also getting to the line a lot for a while i i would trust yeah. paul george to convert more at the rim right now than i would ricky rubio wow that's some shame. same elevation wow. yep pretty much maybe more pretty much I, look i haven't i haven't given up all hope on ricky I, he he does he does some things incredibly well and so i can see him being a starter level nba player if he gets a little better at three-point shooting i just don't have a lot of faith in the finishing at the rim because I don't know. I I don't know how much of my experiences in life uh, can translate to what NBA players go through, but I only get worse at finishing at the rim as I get older. <laughs> It'll I don't get better. With Rubio, I think that he does a lot of the things that are important for a good point guard to do. I think he can orchestrate the offense. I think that he can play feisty defense. I think his defense is actually pretty underrated, but. 
today's NBA requires a little bit more from point guards than just that. I think if he was playing 15 years ago, I think he would have he would have been enough to be a really good player. He would have been popular, everything like that. But I think Ethan, you're right that in order to be the real maestro, to be an important player on a, on a good team, he needs something else. Yeah, whatever it is. He's kind of like Ron Harper of old. I, I was thinking, I was wondering if his ceiling could be something like Dennis Johnson, but then I thought about that Larry Bird play against the Celtics and thought Ricky Rubio would have totally missed that layup. He, he, there's just, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that he that he misses the layup that that so DJ made. made. I mean, uh, he could be a horrendously poor man's John Stockton. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I get. Mm. I mean, John Stockton's one of the greatest shooting point guards of all time, but other than that. <laughs> But I'm, but I mean, but Stockton didn't use it as a weapon in the same way, you know. Like Stockton was a guy who he had it in his arsenal in a way, kind of like Nash, where he had it in his arsenal, but he didn't use it as much as he probably would now. Ah, he's so good. I, God. Oh, he was incredible. Stockton's I mean, that's so why. That's why you know, like uh, an incredibly poor hall version of a Hall of Fame player is still pretty good. I mean, that's that's better than a lot of players in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm. Hold, I'm pessimistic about Ricky, but I haven't given up hope. That's that's where I'm at with him. And maybe this year he'll really be able to expand without Kevin Love. I'm, I'm not sure why a lack of talent would help him, but perhaps it does. It didn't seem like they had the best relationship as teammates. If you look at the quotes coming out of that scene, so, you know. I'm, well, I'm, it seems like getting Peck out of the middle would do a lot more for him than getting the three-point shooting big man out of there. That's true. We we probably need to wrap up soon. I'm just worried that Blazer fans are going to check this out and be very disappointed. I think that the, a good way to do that is let's go through how you guys see the teams in this division ending up 1-5. to five. I think that will involve the Blazers prominently. Yeah. Uh, OKC, number one. At least 20% of it. <laughs> yeah. OKC, number one. The Blazers, second, I guess. Then it gets kind of cruddy and murky. I feel like Rick Perry right now, where there's one team that escapes my mind, uh, because I have, uh, you know, the, you have the you have the Wolves, you have you 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 have the Jazz. What, they, what is this? What is this team? What is this team that's escaping me? Nugs. The Nuggets. Denver. Oh, the irony. The Colorado team escaping my short-term memory. I'm not even sure that's irony. Um, yeah, it isn't. It's not. <laughs> Judges ruling, it isn't. Yeah, it was a very good deadpan. Yeah, OKC, Portland, Denver Nuggets, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, Utah Jazz. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the same. I could, you know what? I could see the Nuggets pushing the Blazers. I'm going to say that. I could see the Blazers having one or two things go wrong, although they have a pretty, you know, nicely well-rounded team and yeah, you know, I've I've every reason to believe that, but well, a lack of depth, a lack of depth where one injury fells them. Right, Important. if yeah. something happens to Lillard, they're in trouble. But you know, you could say the same about Lawson and Denver. Yeah. I think uh, well, I'm worried about. I, I'm not a big Byron Scott believer, but uh, that's the main thing holding me back on the Nuggets. Like I could see them running a lot of Danilo at the four and like really spacing it out and. Maybe downplaying Fareed, who I think is wildly overrated after the uh, Team USA yeah. summer he had. I mean, but, uh, I, 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 yeah, that, I don't think that, any of that creative coaching is going to happen. Playing against non-NBA players, I, I, uh, okay, 
Ethan, isn't Fareed, isn't it, isn't it a decent parallel that he's the power forward Nikola Pekovic? Yeah. He's a very good basketball player who doesn't do the things that are useful for a team to well, win. Well, Danny Nowell said it best with Fareed, though, is uh, his quote on him is he he does most basketball things poorly. And, and that cuts to the quick of the issue where he's, he's just great uh, as far as finishing goes and getting rebounds, but everything else leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, I, I think that they're a t- they're a troubling situation, but I think the reason that the Nuggets could do better than the Blazers is that everything went right for Portland last year in every way. They had a great coach. They everything their players stayed largely healthy, especially their important players. And even though that CJ McCollum, you know, he's a useful player on the fringes, he's still pretty clearly on the fringes. Oh come on! So and I don't think I don't think mm-hmm. he could replace Lillard. I mean, if Lillard gets hurt for twenty games, I think they fall apart. I the thing with them that doesn't make sense: their roster is a better, on paper to use that phrase, defensive roster than what they got out of it. And I'm not sure why that is. I, I like I can Robin tell you Lillard. why. Well, Lillard taking these crazy uh, circuitous routes around screens that make no sense. That was part of it. Also, they went through this stretch where, like, they played really well at the start of the year and then just straight up, like, stopped caring as much. Hmm. It was very obvious. I was was going to Portland for business, and I would go to their games, and, like, they were just like, yeah, we're just going to outscore this team because we can, and that's comfortable for us. And then, like, they kind of – it was slipping, and they buttoned down a little bit at the end of the year. I think that was almost – entirely effort i just Um, don't the the way lillard is around screens it must be so much harder on the level of actually playing but he'll take these routes around it where it it seems almost like he's trying to take the most inefficient route possible like if you had an itch on your back and instead of just reaching back there to scratch it you tried to reach below your elbow and just do something that's not even intuitive and so I'm guessing I'm guessing he gets better on some of that. And that problem is exacerbated by them not having a real guy who erases mistakes on the back end. I think Lopez, you, you saw I that think with Lopez Bogut. Is that guy though? I don't. I, like I don't think he's that guy. He's fine, but he's not. I like uh, to me when I watch the Blazers, I, the guy who I thought about a lot with them was Andrew Bogut. That if they had somebody who just cleaned up their mistakes, their silliness that they would go from being kind of below average to above average because there are all these correctable things. I think Lopez does a good job, but he's not that guy. And I think, I think that if they had somebody like that, they're hard to get. The other thing is that Batum is worse at defense than he looks. Uh, oh yeah. He falls it's an effort thing with him. Like they just, that's kind of their, that was their problem to my, you know, to my eyes. I think also like, you know, you have Darrell Wright and whatever else, but I would love to see the Nuggets sell high on Fareed. I'm just coming back to, to I, I think, like, they could actually probably get something fairly useful for that team. And if they spread it out, you know, Mozgov can run. They have big, you know, if, if Gal, Gallinari, I'm getting a little tired here on these, because Gallinari gets healthy and mm-hmm. can play some four, and you basically have Wilson Chandler and a flallow eating up the wings on defense and, you know, making a few things happen offensively. And then Ty Lawson, I think I'm like the biggest Ty Lawson fan out there. That's a tough they team. Need, they need the Knicks or the Lakers to have something worth trading and take advantage of a team being dumb. Uh, that's 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 what they need. But I, I agree. They should probably sell high on Fareed. They're in this odd position with him where I think they were out on him, and now his celebrity and his star is gaining steam. It, it's just... 
the NBA is funny that way, where a team can be pot committed almost to to a guy. Where you see that with with the Warriors, where I don't think Clay Thompson is going to be worth the rookie max, but they're pot committed to do it just based on the circumstances. It seems as though the circumstances in Denver might be tilting tilting in that direction because what what do they do if they don't go all in on him? Even though Ethan just made three poker references, I am de- de- I am deeply depressed that he said pot committed three times about Denver and did not make that joke. <laughs> well, well Beckley, said that, that, Beckley said that they should sell high on Fareed, so there's all sorts of references <laughs> getting thrown around here. Couldn't the other team that could buy high on Fareed be Orlando, who has more young talent than they know what to do with, even though those guys don't necessarily make sense in Denver? Man, I just don't like thinking about the Magic. I just don't. I don't. They make me sad. I just don't like thinking about them. I mean, I, I like Alfred Payton, sort of interesting. I mean, I I don't think that what they're doing with Oladipo is going to work out. Uh, Vucevic, I, yeah, he's he's not fun to watch though. That team is just depressing. Yeah, it is. We'll move on to the only, only a couple more left. I know it's running long now. How many teams do you think will make the playoffs? From this division. <laughs> I know the answer to that. <laughs> I will go with... I'll go with two. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say one, just to continue needling the blazes. Oof. Yeah, I, I think I think that it's... Mo- I think two is the most likely, but I think it's substantially more likely that it's one than three. I think that it's yeah. more likely that somebody Zero falls off. Three. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Den- I like Denver a lot, but the other con- the other divisions just have so much strength. It's the West. If it was a top 16, I think Denver would be I think it. I'm just punishing Denver for Vegas setting their line at 46.5 last season. I-, I still can't believe that. And I should probably factor in how they have the best home court advantage. It- this division has the best home court advantage uh, twofold, because you also have the Jazz at that altitude. Um, and I, I always forget to factor that in. And also, lots of teams travel to Denver on a back-to-back, even though there are no teams that are close. So not only that, but they have long flights and all this stuff, so they don't get to deal with it. You need and to factor they get teams... in the legalized marijuana, perhaps, in these teams coming to Denver. I haven't even thought of that. And they're the only team with that advantage, since Seattle doesn't have a team. There you go. Okay, okay. I'm, I, I'm higher on the Nuggets now. Ha, ha, ha. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks, Danny. And so the la- the last question is, it's kind of nebulous, but are there any players that you think are going to break out of their current level? And I'm, I've been letting people say, you could say it in terms of production or fame, but just a player who you think will be more prominent in some way a year from now than they are right now. More prominent? That is a great question. Gordon Hayward, that's my prediction. C.J. McCollum. I'm saying Rudy, Rudy Gobert. I think I think he's going to be a cult hero finally. It should have happened last year. It's going to happen this year. Well, Maybe Favors too. Favors Favors is good. He's good at basketball. I like how we're thinking. We're thinking that Quinn, old Quinny over there, better coach than what they've had. So you're going to see you're going to see a breakout year or two from somebody they have. So I think that, like that that's what that's what I'm thinking. It's going to come from the Jazz. I, yeah, it's going to come from the Jazz. I do not think it's going to come from Minnesota. Yep, which is disapp- greatly disappointing. But I think I think they'll be a little bit. I also think that their young guys aren't going to get as many minutes because I think Flip Saunders, the coach, wants to win games. So Flip Saunders, the GM, doesn't fire him. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get those. Said, we got to get those. I believe in Flip Saunders, like Harvey Dent shirts made or something. I mean, <laughs> make a killing. 
Or like a coin, or like a coin flipping, and both sides are flips on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that works perfectly with the name. It can kind of like be his thing. I love it. Mm. I love it. Perfect. One one of our conglomerates can get on this and make a bunch of money, or a listener. Whoever gets on it first gets the intellectual property rights. I'll, I'll bet on the listener. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet on the listener. It's, hey, if somebody made that awesome Jabari shirt and somehow is not getting sued for copyright infringement, the Atari one, did you guys see that? Somebody will do this. Let, let's, hope, let's, let's hope it goes that way. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for taking time. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> I hope so, because it took forever. <laughs> uh, yeah, edit yeah. it out. I want all my embarrassing moments uh, edited out and bleeped out. But, but thanks for having me. Thanks again to Beckley and Ethan for taking the time. You can read Beckley Mason, hoopspeak.com or New York Times. And you can also follow him on Twitter, at Beckley Mason. That's B-E-C-K-L-E-Y-M-A-S-O-N. You can read Ethan Sherwood Strauss, ESPN, and also True Hoop TV Live is a really great thing. And he's also on Twitter at Sherwood Strauss, S H E R W O O D S T R A U S S. It was so much fun having them on. It was an absolute pleasure. It's one of the things I love about doing the podcast is getting to talk to people like the two of them. And that fun will continue. I am going to do the final podcast of the six division previews, the Southeast. In the very near future, I'm hoping to do it this weekend. That's the tentative plan. So you will have that, hopefully, in in the near term. You can listen to them, obviously, in whatever order. They're all self-contained. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, criticism, praise, whatever, you can send it to me at my RealGM email, which is daniel.waru at realgm.com, or you can send it to me on Twitter at DannyLaru, that's D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, as I always say, I do read everything. I try to respond to as much as possible if it warrants a response. And that really is what makes the show better. And about to hit the second year, and there are already a bunch of things that I want to do, but I am always interested in what you think would be worth listening to because that is what is most important to me. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood.